before we start, what, what, what do you guys think? Of, like, you guys are younger, and that's why we're here. So what do you guys want to know? Well, for me, I want to retire early. How early? Like, by 40. 440, mm. preferred. Right, so I think the goal is you team. have to have set that number, but you also realize it maybe not come true. But. So let's go around the room. 40? What about you? Well, what's financial stability, too? Because it may not be about retiring. Well, we yeah, might as well. true. That's true. And not be destitute. Right. Move out of move out of your parents' house and not be destitute. <laughs> and <Right>. you, any? <laughs> you just want to own properties. You just right. want to own properties. Okay, with a plural, with an S. I okay. want to stop sleeping on mom mom and dad's couch. Want to be a slumlord and dreaming. I, I think. Okay, my, that's good. My, my so issue, none of them are unreasonable. But, but my issue with that general statement, which we talked about the last one, and we we sort of came across it on feedback from the the thing we had in the theater room, I believe. People in their age forget that you need a mound of money to be able to invest, right? And that's where your career comes in. So is there another formula that by leveraging or whatever? I mean, I think well, we need to not, sort of talk about all those different well, things. Well, yeah, but we're, this is the ask, right? We're supposed to we're yeah, trying to get them there. But right? I think that even we have to put it like... Uh, in order, like a chronological order. Oh, Wait, we gotta, I think we got to back up, too. We're, it's tempting to get into details, but look, we got to define what financial stability is, right? So um, like, like any good Gen Xer, I, I, I Googled it, and the IMF has a definition, and it's really uh, safe and healthy uh, replacement for Ambien because it takes them 19 pages to, to define financial stability. So, you know, that's not helpful for, for anybody unless you're in academia. So I, I think I can do it, for, uh, make a definition that suits me in seven words, and it's really more money coming in than going out. I think I that's like seven that. words. Yeah. That's it. That's financial stability. We're not talking about financial independence yet, just stability. More coming in than going out. Well, hold on. So, but from... but. That's from us. Uh, this the audience or these guys. The questions, the the, the, the the topics that Dave brought up is is their view of what stability means, right? So we have to address it all. Right? I think that a little informal poll of the uh, the crew here on the podcast is a great representation of this article I recently was talking or reading about, and it was uh, really stating that financial stability is different from individual to individual, and just polling our crew here. We had three different viewpoints. And I think that's a huge part of it. And I think that's a great place that we have to start because it is going to be very individualized and it is going to be very variable depending on the individual's goals. If you're talking end goals, I agree. <clears throat> you get 100 people, you get 100 different goals. But if we're just talking stability, I, I do think it is that simple. Yeah. All right, so go yeah, with I, I like your simplification. So I agree. Started, I agree. Right? Well, well hold on. Way, you're right? never going to get to retire at 40 or buy multiple houses or move out of your parents' house if you do, don't do what Adam's seven words are. Yeah. Because you, if you're spending more money than you're bringing in, you're not going to be able to retire early because you're not going to be able to save. You're not going to be able to buy more properties. You're not going to be able to buy a house. Um, and it reminds me of I mean, something. How do you get that? Wait, but, but not necessarily so, true. Well, Lots of people move out of their parents' house and go into debt and for two or three years, and then, they, then they're stuck, right? But, but I think there's a couple important financial exercises and steps to get to what Adam's point is about having more coming in and less going out. And then there was a book that I read earlier on when Kathy and I first got married and we kind of went through a few financial exercises. I was like, wow, this is great. And when I shared it with people, they're like, why are you doing that? And I was like, because it's a good financial exercise to do. So share, what were some of the things you've done? So to get to that point that Adam was saying about, well, how do you get more coming in and going out? 
And the book that I was reading, it was on personal finance. It was saying, unless you track what it is you spend, how are you ever going to know? I'm and so, I'm and so what I, I we disagree. did. No, I agree. Because if you, I say with anything, if you can't track it, yeah. you can't judge it. You can't I, rate it. Yeah. So, so what they suggested, they said, you know, not forever, but they said, take a, a certain period of time. They, and they suggested, you know, anywhere between one month and six months. We did three months. And every day you write down exactly what you spend, either cash, credit card, you know, online, whatever it is. And you add it up and you have categories, whether it be clothing, entertainment, food. And then after that set period of time, you will have a picture of what it is that you're spending on. Otherwise, I think to say, you know, the money is coming in, going out, everybody wants to be in that positive, you know, net situation where you're net positive, but how do you really know where to cut? And we were very surprised when we did that exercise. We're like, wow, we didn't know we were spending that much money in that area. So here's why so I disagree. I thought it was eye-opening. I disagree because from what I, what, for me, it's always been, I just don't spend money on anything that's not necessary, right? So I've never felt the need to go and look and say, oh, was I going out to eat too much? Because I wasn't, right? Because I only went out to eat once in a while or some minimal amount. And same thing for buying stuff, buying clothes or whatever. So I've never, ever, ever tracked anything. This, this is a guy, though, who, who wore, you know, whatever clothes he had in seventh grade to <laughs> but, sophomore wait, year in college. Wait, so and, you, but you have to back up. When the canteen rolls out from under his seat in the Montero, <laughs> ah, Rocky Mountain Springwater, 1994. <laughs> so, still so good. Still good, right. You can, I don't think a lot of people can just cut spending to the right. absolute minimum because they're going to be miserable doing it. Well, I You're guess, not miserable I guess, doing it. I guess what I'm saying is I didn't have to cut anything. Like I never went there. I never went yeah. to a place where I had to cut. But I think we're not the normal people. Most people live right. above their, their means. Most right. people are in debt. And just to and start if you, getting if you are, you have to start with what Ed's saying, so, at least. So, right. If you're trying to unwind a problem situation, then yes, you may have to do that, I think. Right? If you're walking out the door out of college and you got your first job and you're still living at home with your parents, you, you have the opportunity to never go there. Right to never overspend and never be out of control. It's not fair to say right? everybody has that opportunity, but yes, I think the math is still important. Though you yes. may in implicitly know that oh, I must be making more than I'm spending because I'm not spending anything. Okay, well, how much more are you making right. than you're spending? Well, you that, still got to put it down, so, and you still got to do the spreadsheet. Sorry, but you yeah. do. Yeah, and I would say that one month is not long enough because are you going to the doctor every month? Are you going to you know if get your hair done once a month. No, I think you need a year to get all the seasonality yeah. factors in as, as an approximation. So, so who's done this? Ed's done it. Yeah. Have you done it? I do not track not one thing. Have you done it? I, no, because like you, Have I didn't need to. Absolutely. Okay. For one year, and it's really, really hard. Yeah, yes, it <laughs> is. But to, to what end, though? To what end? So, because I, I believe there's a social aspect to this, because unless you're from the womb thinking that way, which... To, to my mind, that's the way his is. But you have, let's say that the other uh, part of your relationship does not subscribe to that. And they want a certain level of income to actually spend and actually go to, to restaurants and stuff like that. You know, we, we have to sort of define, are you living just a normal life with a balance or you're you're starving yourself so that you could do yeah you and your partner have to agree on that and if you don't maybe you need a new partner well there's plenty of people sure. i've seen over the years who do not agree financially and it does not end well and i think johnny brought up a good point you know with the partner and other people who are significant in your lives because maybe you know you don't have a life partner yet or a spouse 
And maybe, you know, you're trying to work things out at home because maybe, you know, your parents say, well, maybe you need to chip in a little bit now that you're older and working. So I think it's in general, other people in your life, by doing that financial exercise, you have information to talk about, right? So now, you know, you can come to the significant others in your life and say, well, now let's talk about this, right? It's not to say by doing the exercise that anyone is mandating anything on anyone else. It's just but, knowledge. Purely but more importantly, yeah. now we have things to talk about. Just like just you would like a movie for, or a TV uh, show. Those of you who want to get out by 40, you might see that at uh, 28, I should have X amount of dollars. And, and I don't quite have that. Well, that, that's why I did the full year spreadsheet. Because after a few years in, in the workforce, our question was, where the fuck is all our money going? <laughs> and until you can yeah. do it for down to the penny for, for a year, you don't really know. And I've never done it again because it's it's a bit of work, it's but it's good yeah. effort. So, like, I, I agree that it's not, there's no reason not to do it. Um, but again, it, it feels more of a answering a question. Where's the money going as opposed to how do I fix my problem or do, did I never get to that situation in the first place? So... Talking about stability, if we're trying to define stability, and we had Adam's definition, which I think we all agree to, right? Yep. Um, does it? Do we need anything more on that? Like, is there anything else to talk about? I think just the importance, you know, as we continue to talk about, you know, the to the topic of financial stability, understanding that overall, it's always going to be very individualized. And although financial stability, I think, is really important in life, it ultimately, you know, ends up being one facet of life, right? No different than health. Right, interpersonal relationships. You know, we all want to grow in those. You know, how I was financially, you know, sta stable maybe five years ago, should be hopefully a better situation now. Just like my interpersonal relationships, right? How I function my interpersonal relationships five years ago. Hopefully, I'm doing better now. Health-wise, how I was five years ago. Hopefully, making better choices now. So I think as important as financial stability is, we can't lose sight of the fact that it is one facet of life. And just as we all kind of grow along the continuum, wherever anyone is. There's no right or wrong place to be because we're all kind of traveling along the continuum, just trying to get better yeah, compared to where us, we were. Not compared to, to the norm. next point of you know right. why do I care? How important is it? But just just to close up the definition, it's not enough to acknowledge. Okay, I get it to be stable. I need more coming in than going out. If you don't know what that number is, who cares if you agree with the statement? You have to know what that that yes. number is. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think the prime part, and obviously it'll come up later. We need to really define the ways to generate that initial money. And I think that that's where a lot of the newer generation thinks, well, I don't really have to focus that much on education in school because I'm going to go get houses. And then you're saying, well, how are you going to get those houses? Yeah, well, then you're going to get it. You're going to get a little, you're going to get into the weeds a little bit, right? Yeah. So I think we'll get there on yeah. the fourth point. Right. So, you know, the next point, how important it is or, or why do I care? Why should I care? Well, you, you don't. You don't need to care about being financially stable. Um, and if you don't, I'd jump on another podcast today. If, if you do, keep, keep listening. We, we think it's important. And, and as Ed, as you said, it ain't the only thing in life, but right. it's, it's one of the pillars. Yeah. It facilitates all the other ones. That's yeah. right. right. It all, it all integrates. <laughs> it does. Right. Because if you're, if you're healthier, right. And you're stress-free, right. A lot of that can come from being financial stable. And if you don't have financial st stability, then it may start affecting your health. It may start affecting your interpersonal relationships. So it's all really intertwined, right? Although they're different facets, they kind of integrate. Yeah. I think the other thing, you know, with that other point that you were mentioning, Adam, about, you know, why is financial stability important? You know, there's an old proverb that I read that states, the borrower is slave to the lender. And every time I come across that, you know, I always think how important it is to remember to live within our means. 
Because if we don't do that as a basis, you know, like you mentioned with your definition, Adam, is we're not going to have more coming in than going out. And I think the culture that we live in, you know, here in our country, it makes it very easy to fall into, well, why don't I have that? And my coworker went on this trip and my neighbor drives this car. And so I think it's very easy to fall into that, you know, when we see wow, different things on, in advertisement. But, but hold on. That, wanting those extra things doesn't mean you have to borrow. True, depending on, related to that. depending on how quickly you want it. Uh, right. And in this country, borrowing is one of the keys to growing portfolios, to growing businesses and all that kind of yeah, stuff. So borrowing is not always a negative thing. There's a lot of math. There's a lot right. of math yeah. that we'll probably talk about that says borrowing. Yeah, it is depends not, on what you're borrowing. If you're yeah, borrowing, it depends on, depends. a car you don't, a more expensive it, car it you don't need. It all depends. It all depends. So it's not always borrower slave thing. It's it depends on the situation. Yep. And there's a lot of good reasons to do it. And we borrowed a boatload of money to get where we are, and it's worked. Right. So you just got to understand that whoever you're borrowing from is not a charity. They're in it to make money, and they're making money off of you. Absolutely and true. It's just got to be a That's deal right. that works both For ways. Both. And you've right. got to be aware of, of how that deal is working. It's one of those ingrained things that people grow up with. I don't want to be in debt. Right. Most people are brought up that way. And that's not how the commercial and the capitalism works in this country to, to really succeed. Right. So for, for now, I think the message has got to be that borrowing is not automatically something that's bad. It's not automatically something that should be avoided. It, it is something that, you know, you do need to understand the numbers on. Back to the spreadsheet, right? The best way to understand borrowing is to do your own math and do the spreadsheets and make sure you understand how mortgages work and all that kind of stuff, right? You just lost 95% of our listeners. <laughs> no, we're going to do an Excel podcast. No, but I think we'll that it's important. Okay. We're going to talk about borrowing. Adam, bring a good example of borrowing, using it as leverage. Bring an example because I think these kids need examples. Yeah. I think a primary residence is a good example of what Adam's talking about. I mean, I'm not really pro-borrowing, but I own a home in which I had to borrow money through a mortgage. Most people aren't but, buying houses outright. So we're looking for ways to, to borrow money to grow money is what we're talking correct. about, right? So correct. It is, but you could also make the case that, borrow, that the house you live in, the house that we all live in, is the biggest money pit of our financial stability. And a, and a house that you invest in as a, as a retirement house or as a anything that's rented out or somebody else is paying for is much better. And you borrow for those things too. Um, so if you want an example. I got an example. All right. This is on the extreme end, but not too long ago, uh, you could get credit cards with cash advance and you owe nothing on that for six months. You could do up to 10 or 20 grand. I did as many as I could and I borrowed as much as I could because I took all that money, got a measly 3% off of it, and in six months, paid off the credit cards. Thanks very much. I was $2,000 richer for, the, for doing it. A little bit of paperwork, but worth my time. No risk, borrowed money, Which big time. You mean invested it? Yeah, at the time, you could get reasonable guaranteed return in uh, like money markets. So it was a no-brainer. And it helped your credit. At the end of the day, it did. It Not while credit. all that money was right. out. Yeah. So, so another example would be this. So we bought the house in the Poconos, right? 12 years ago at, a, at whatever price it was. We took a mortgage out on it. Say it was $300,000. We took a, a $240,000 mortgage, right? In the, in the recent years with all the value increases because of COVID, right? Those houses went up a, a lot of money, right? A lot of value. So when interest rates were 2.5% at the end of last year, 
we took all we refinanced and took all the money out that we could up to like 80% of the value. So it's like 580, right? So the mortgage is higher now. I gotta pay more to keep it. Took all that money and bought the bought the condo in Myrtle Beach. Right. So there's no mortgage on the one in Myrtle Beach, but it's mortgaged on the other house, right? So the payments are all merged together now, right? Money's coming in over here, money's coming in over here, mortgage over here. It's all one big pile, but one lets you do the other. And, and they wouldn't let us get a, a cheap mortgage on the one in Myrtle Beach for various reasons we won't, won't go into, but we were able to do it on that one. So borrowing more money over here, let us do another investment over there. And those prices doubled too. So now that thing's double, worth double what we paid for it. That thing's worth double what we paid for it. And we could have only done it because we borrowed the money. Right. Our mortgage was X dollars per month on a 30-year fixed. We were, I don't know, 25 years into it. We refinanced it, pulled out 100K, Payment is exactly the same. I have more years on the back end of it, but that's another example. And if, if you're listening, you may say, well, you guys just had, had great timing and, and we're lucky. Absolutely, definitely. And that opportunity is not gonna be here next year or the year after, but puts everyone in a really good position to get ready for when that opportunity does come around again, because it will, everything goes in cycles. And if we didn't have the capital we had at the time, we wouldn't have been able to take advantage. So when you cycle. took out that extra hundred thousand dollars, did you would invest it or did you buy another property? Invested it in my children's education. College ain't cheap. All right. That's <laughs> no, not I think the other good point with you know the examples that you guys both gave is the aspect of long term financial discipline, right? On what you're doing, as opposed to you take that money and then all of a sudden some kind of temptation comes around, whether it be a vacation or something you want to buy, right? A car, something that will not appreciate. I think the importance of having that long-term financial discipline is going to be key. Otherwise, then what happens with that money that you've gotten from borrowing? That's critical. And I think it's more than long-term discipline. I mean, it, it, it's a way of life. Yeah. Um, and it becomes so natural and easy eventually <laughs> that you don't even notice it. It's just part of your DNA and like how you operate. Teeth. For example, like like brushing your teeth. Johnny, could you put a helipad on the roof of this house? Yeah, you probably could, but should you? <laughs> no. So a lot of times with uh, with peer pressure and marketing or advertising, you don't, don't ask the can I question, ask the should I question. So the bottom line on borrowing, there's two, two opposing views, right? Well, opposing items, right? There's credit cards and then there's mortgages. Right. right. And if we separate those two things, so they're almost completely different. Other than the word borrow, they're basically different. Right? right. Credit cards are I want something that I can't afford. And mortgages are a little bit of that. But really, in this case, what we're talking about here is investing in something right. so that I can do. And it gives you leverage. That has to be and, one of the and, weed yeah. topics. Yeah. 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 Because I don't think a lot of people understand that. Yeah. At a high level, it's do I take on debt? with a new mortgage and an investment property that now all in, I got to lay out $2,000 a month for. Well, if you can bring in 2,500 a month in rent, yeah, maybe it's something you consider. So, right. Correct. Yeah, and, and people realize you're putting 10, $20,000, but you're able to leverage on the total, right. you know, 80% of the right. house, which is something very important to one of the topics at the starting that they said, if you're going to have multiple homes, you have a good amount of leverage. Yeah. And then that's the way that, that's exactly how it's turned out for us. And it's yep. been fine. Right. right. So, I mean, I can say we've never borrowed money on a credit card to buy something like we use credit cards all the time because you get points and all that nonsense. We just pay it off every month. Like we've right. never, I'm pretty sure I have never other than forgetting to pay a bill, let a credit card bill linger 
past the, a month. Ditto. Right? Same. Anybody? Anybody? No. Anybody? No. Right? So, Once by mistake. But then you can exactly. back it up. Exactly. What, not everybody has that luxury, though. That's true. That's true. And that may be true, but you're doing it with awareness, right? You know, I'm, I'm doing this for, I, I had to buy that. Why did I spend this No, but that needs to be defined, though. Right? Well, like, what do you mean by not everyone has that? Then they shouldn't be even have a credit well, card. Well, there's, there's two reasons. There's some people, again, they live above their means, so they're just spending whatever they have. Because I, I have $20,000 credit card limit, I'm going to use it. And they're always in debt. And there's people, well, I don't make enough money to do all these things I need to do, like pay my rent and eat yeah. and have heat. So they use their credit cards for that. I don't know how many of those people are listening to this podcast or if we have an answer for that. You have a good point there, Gary. And I think something that Adam said actually kind of addresses that. And that is when he mentioned about it's a way of life with the financial discipline. I think for some of the listeners out there aren't into the habit of financial discipline, trying to do something like that exercise, that financial exercise we talked about at the beginning about tracking expenses, starts putting you in the mindset of being financially disciplined. I mean, you're not going to get it very far without financial discipline. And one of the things I remember hearing when I was younger, and I don't remember when, but they said if you, let's just say you get out of college, you get out of college, you invest $5,000 or $10,000, whatever it is, whatever you have for 10 years, and then the 11th year, you stop investing your money. And then somebody else starts, through your, we'll start saying they're your age, they start doing the same amount of money on that 11th year they'll never have more money than you because oh, of compounding right. interest. So, right. yeah. so the whole point is you need to be more financially disciplined earlier on in your life because doing it when you're in your early 20s is going to compound so much more when you're in your 30s and 40s. Wait, 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 real quick though. This is, this is I think we could use this, this question I'm going to ask you to springboard into that because you said something that's very, if someone is living with the necessity to use a credit card to subsidize their rent, that's a whole other problem, right? But we we define it or, or that is nowhere even close to financial stability. That's nowhere even close to a good example, you know, a, a way to live life, right? If they're doing that, they have to be lacking in the next thing. They didn't do something right. They didn't educate themselves. They either have bad habits somewhere else. Maybe they go to the bar every day after work and they're not. I mean, to be fair, it could be how they grew up. I mean, if you grew up in a family where your family's poor and you- But it doesn't matter why you're not financially stable or disciplined, it's the fact that you are. Right, but also saying. you shouldn't, you, we should never ever say it's okay if your situation needs it to go get the credit card. You either gotta go live with a cousin, a brother, get three people in a room. Right. There's other That's options right. that you do not borrow, yeah. something that is not giving you anything in return. Right. But Simple you've got to recognize in the first place that that's a problem. With Gary's example, yeah. you know, living off of a, a credit card, you know, that may be somebody's right. worldview and, you know, that's just how it is. So uh, unless you're going to do that exercise we talked about, you're not going to recognize that as a problem. And I agree. If we take that that person, one, one approach is, well, do you like your job? Yes, no, maybe find a better job. You only work in one job, get another job. Thank you. Sleep on a buddy's couch. Do what you have to do to get on your feet. And I think Johnny brought up a good point about, hey, get a cousin, get a friend, you know, to you know, live together. And I think when we look outside our culture and other cultures, it's kind of the norm for families and extended families and multi-generations to live together. You mean outside the U.S.? Outside the yeah. U.S. and the, other cultures. The failure it's, it's, of the it's, nuclear It's just kind of the norm. Right? It's just the norm. Topic. And here in our culture, I think people have the mindset of, I need to be out on my own. I'm independent because I'm, I'm my own person and I want to do my own thing and I want to do this and do that. And I think sometimes you have to step back and say, well, if I need that much privacy and independence to be doing certain things, should I really be doing that? And that's something people have to self-reflect on for themselves. 
You know, how is that promoting your future financial stability? Whereas if you're living with someone, maybe you can't do those things. So well, Adam, you brought up, I, mean, I, I don't think people are disciplined in general. So your point is tough when people aren't disciplined. I mean, in general, I think people are going to take the path of least resistance. And that's going to be doing things that are bad for you, like using a credit card and living above your means, not eating healthy. Anything you think of, it's easier to do that. But Money is one do, of them. But we didn't do that. No. Well, and that's why we're talking about it, trying to tell people this is what you want, need to do. I don't want people to think that at least me, I'm perfect. I made a whole bunch well, we of financial made, mistakes when I was well, young. Well, most of the yeah. way we, we, we learned is by making mistakes. Them. You're never going to grow without making mistakes. But to, to, to the other point, we'll start with you, um, Adam. Tell us your education. Tell us how you prepared to live your life, regardless of how you were going to invest your money. Well, that's a really tough question. Um, I, I uh, had no idea what I wanted to do in high school, so I, I'm probably with the 99% of, of, of people. Um, went to engineering school because it was easier to transfer into other things. If you start in engineering, it was cool enough, and I thought I could save the world through environmental engineering. Graduated, got a degree, became a professional engineer, got a job, professionally licensed in uh, about a dozen states. And um, I forgot your question. <laughs> so, so the answer is you went to college, you prepared yourself. Went to college, prepared myself. Something that you were passionate about. And recognized. No, I don't know if he was well, passionate about it. You well, know, he mentioned the I, environmental. I think in, in, in college, it's easy to uh, be seeing the world through rose-colored glasses, of, you know, what your starting salary is going to be and you know, how much money you're going to make uh, or how much impact you can have. Uh, but then very quickly you realize that maybe you're not going to have that uh, level of impact or that even if you do, okay, well, what's after that? What am I going to, how am I going to fit in my hobbies or the other things I want to do? And financial independence is the, the clearest path to that for, or at least it was for me. So probably three months after I started working, I became disciplined and it wasn't a big deal because I knew why I was doing it. How about you, Ray? No, oh, going around the room. Yeah. So um, mine starts the same, right? Didn't know what I was <coughs> going to do. Went to college. Actually, I thought I was going to do pre-med. Didn't like sitting in bio class all day, memorizing stuff. Switched to engineering because Howie, I was talking to Howie over the summer and he mentioned he was switching to engineering. So I did that. Bumped into Stern in college in the next year. Um, thought I was going to save the world, probably did a little bit of that worked for the, and got out, worked, got my degree, worked for the EPA, actually doing, you know, environmental cleanups. Um, but in that role, I realized that I wasn't going to make enough money to retire early. That I was always thinking about that. Right. And I, and we just couldn't make money doing that. Um, and it was in the late nineties and the dot-com boom was happening <coughs> with, you know, this new internet thing that was coming around. And, um, I decided to go. You know, me and Terrence decided we should go take a class, talk to Adam. He said the same thing. Let's go take some, learn IT, went, moved to IT, doubled my salary, doubled it again a couple of years later, and then here we are, right? So it was a choice to go make more money at that point, right? So you have to be able to say, because talking about doing math, right? Yeah. You can do math on what you spend. That's one aspect of it. But at some point, to the, to the original question, I want to retire at 40, well, how do you retire at 40? You need to have enough money and funds and investments and all this stuff to get yeah. there, right? So, so, and you've got to decide where is it coming in. It's not, can't, it can't just be yeah. what's going out. There's got to be enough coming in. Sometimes right? your passion doesn't fill and, that. And so in, this case, to... in this case, I walked away from the passion thing. Can't say whether that was a good idea or not, but 
Well, you're retired. Everything's so. okay, right? We'll say that. Um, but that's how I got there. So I will de deliberately went to make more money. How about you, Gary? Um, I can't say that my jobs have the, are the ones that have gotten me to where I am today because it's all relative. I mean, I got into computers mostly because it was easy. In college, I had no idea what I'm going to do, and math is the only thing I got good grades in. So I think, well, maybe computers because what are you can do with math degree. So um, I got into computers, and it's you know decent job. I think there's a lot of things out there that use computers. I might I could be wrong, um, and I was doing it for a while, and it was okay, but it wasn't bringing tons of money and I wasn't getting very far and I got laid off um, and ended up getting into a job taking a pay cut because I wasn't going to sit home doing nothing. So I'd rather have a job making less money than no money. Um, but it, because of my discipline and, and not just sitting there taking the job, it helped me grow and I had make making a lot more money there. Hated that. So I went to my new job with a new career. Uh, again, if you look at average salary, it's probably nothing special, but I was disciplined with all the money coming in to keep growing that to help get to where I am today. Um, and then doing other things like investments and other stuff we've done. Um, but very diligent on taking extra money and investing it. So as we said earlier, you do that for 30 years, it's pretty cool to, to look at. You know, when, when you invest, let's say you're five years into your investments and you have $25,000 and it's a great year and you do 10% growth, Two and a half thousand dollars, it's nice, but I mean, you don't get that excited about that. But when it's 20 years later, you have 10% growth on a lot more money, you're like, oh, that's a couple years' salary. That's pretty nice. Um, but you have to be disciplined to get that far. And aren't you also using the side hustle to generate more funds? That's, that's, that's Yeah, but you know, it's one of those things I should have done a lot of things younger, right? These are things that if we But you're doing it. Now. Yeah. I didn't start doing a lot of the things I'm doing now to help accelerate and throw more gasoline on the money until I was in my 40s. You know, um, and that's the thing I remember reading this one thing is that you're never going to become financially independent if you're just working for somebody. I mean, I know that's just not for everybody. I mean, there's people who make plenty of money working for people, but in general, if you want to make more money, you got to figure out other ways outside of your job to make more money. Otherwise, other than just investing. I mean, when Ray was talking about like the 90s when when you can just throw money in and in the stock market and make a ton. I mean, I thought I was retiring at 30. Me too. I was like, I am retiring at 30. This is awesome. <laughs> and I also had, but I didn't have the discipline to know, hey, this is up 50 times. Maybe I should sell it. No, it's going to go higher. Yeah, because you always think it's going to go higher. <laughs> yeah, and you learn. You you learn. Things don't go up indefinitely forever. And then you end up being up, I'm up so much money. I'm retiring to, I just lost all that money that I thought I was going to have. Yeah. So, now I'm 50. So yeah. he, he elaborated. Well, I mean, 30, 25 years ago, but... <laughs> But he elaborated on the houses, right? So your side hustle is the shirts and stuff like that. And I so, bought my house, though, not until my mid-40s, a second house. So with all these things, if I had known, it's hard to say no, because I think most of us in this room would have known. It's more you have to have the balls to do it. You have to have the balls to do it, and, and you have to have the money to do it. And the only way you have the money to do it is by you know, making sure there's more coming in than going out. And what do you do with that excess? You pay yourself with it. You've got to pay yourself <clears throat> first. So I think the whole point of this is when you're younger, you need to go make the money. Exactly. Right? You can't exactly. just say, I'm going to be 22 years old and I'm going to go start investing in houses. Because right? you probably don't have the money to do it. Right. Well, I think but, Johnny's path might have been a little bit different. So maybe you can share a little bit. Well, mine, obviously, I didn't know what I, I, I don't know if the word I should use it, but I despised school. It's good it word. actually smelled to me. <laughs> when we finished 
summer break and those first few days that I would leave to go to school, it literally smelled like the air smelled. Like I was like, oh, I hate this. So it, it was just, it's, I started off wrong for, for whatever reason. I just didn't like it. And I, I always knew from the get-go I wasn't going to go to college for whatever. I just concluded that for no reason. Um, didn't pay attention a lot, only did the bare minimum. And fortunately, thank the good Lord that, that I had the ability to fix things. I was always doing that young. And um, I went to a technical school right after um, high school. I went for automotive, which I liked a lot. And then after that, I went for uh, electronics. And I just did the technical route. So it was four years, though, you know, I soaked up all that um, knowledge and then by luck fell into a job that had all those different aspects, you know. And so unlike, you know, a shop that fixes a car, a manufacturing environment has everything. Why I luck? You went Why to your job luck? right out of high school, no? Uh, right out, no, right out of high school, that was uh, stupid jobs, like counting money. I counted money at a, at a location, like literal money. Counting. You mean laundering? No, counting money uh, not cleaning. For, the, for the port authority. Oh, got it. Right? Like all the bridges and tunnels, people, the money that you give, it gets to a, a mid-deposit center and then it goes to the bank and you'd count it. I did that. I worked for Mercedes uh, for a little bit. And then the reason why I say it was luck, it was like, you know, my father worked there. My dad was like, hey, they're looking for someone on the, in the summer to put these computers, these little handheld computers in the trucks. Um Back in the day, we had two companies. One, uh, the milk delivery people, you'd walk into a bodega and be like, hey, there's your order. Do you want anything else? And the guy would be like, yeah, give me 10 more or whatever. And they'd punch it in on this thing. And there was like a little mobile computer. That's what's called add-on sales. Right, in in the, the truck. So I would put those in and so on and so forth. But I didn't say that's going to be my career. I just fell into it. And then when they realized, hey, you know, we, we gave him that. He could do that. We, he went to this piece of equipment he never seen before. He was able to troubleshoot that. So just I just realized, oh, hey, I can figure these things out. But I never actually said that's what I'm going to do. I just fell into it, right? And then I left, right? Went to to Mercedes, and my dad's boss called me without him knowing. He was like, listen, we had this guy left. We had a problem. I want you to come back. And I showed up, and my dad was like, what are you doing here? I don't want you to work. He literally told me, I don't want you to work here. You know, you could probably do something much better somewhere else. And at that time, you, I had a, you didn't listen to your dad. I didn't listen to him only because I had a girlfriend that was six blocks away and my mom didn't know where I was. She didn't know whether I was at, at work or at her house. And, I, you know, so that's why it was pure luck. And then now, right. 20, 30 years later, after doing a good job and being dedicated to it, how's your role changed? Oh, so so now I, I run the entire uh, anything that's asset based. So all of the equipment, all of the grounds. All of the buildings, and I think you guys know we have a location in Worcester, we have a cross dock in Connecticut, and two locations in Florida, but all the manufacturing is in Earth Amboy, um, or in this location. So, you know, it you, you rise, but remember though, it's almost 30 years. It's a long know? time. It's a long time. So I I am and then I I'm I'm happy this we touched on this because a lot of people who I talk to, the pandemic. And social media has convinced them that it's there's a an easy way through it. And it's not. It's all fundamental. Like we said at the start, if you put on a spreadsheet, you know that unless you got this one lump of money or this money accruing money, you're never going to get enough money to get a $300,000 two-family, three-family, or a, a lake house or whatever. You know, and how, how do people put in that time and not lose focus? And I think the examples that you set 
They're maybe not universal because I'd be lying if I said I wrote anything down that much. He knows how I deal. Get like a five minute conversation. If it makes sense in my head, that's what I'm going to do. Simple yep. as that. You know, and I've always taken that example from my father a little different. Right. I think you guys know the example that of why I bought a three family home initially and not a single family home because my father had a two family home and I saw the benefits of after we moved to Piscataway, that house paid for everything, paid for all his taxes in Piscataway and um, the little residual stuff around. Like if he wanted a car that came out of that house, he didn't have to go into the regular fund. And then now that he's retired, that house before he sold it would pay the, um, the Scataway taxes and the taxes and leave them enough. It was just like a common sense type of thing. I didn't have to put it on paper. Right. So, but the money that it took to put the down payment on that three family came from work, you know, and I think that some people are missing that or their, their day to day wants takes all that money that they could have had to put that down payment on. How long did you live at home before you bought? I got married at 30. And that's when you bought a house at 30? Right. What's that got to do with living at home or not? No, it's saving money. No, what happens is is that staying home gives you the ability to save money. Right. right. So, so I you, didn't have you, rent. You lived home until, until you, you got were married. thirty. Until I got yes. Did you did you have to pay rent? Uh, no. On the contrary, not not because of just to answer. I I just participated in. I like I got my mom a cell phone. I got my father a cell phone. I did all the work on their car. Like they didn't. I didn't. I didn't just like show up and you know I did things for them. Right, but your your thought. paycheck was sufficient that you could have. Paid for Easy. your own apartment. Of course, of course. But of you course. didn't. Right, but I, I didn't. And I think and some of us might have done the same thing. I, I I did that for three and a half years myself. I made it a year and I'm like, I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was 30 also. I think it was. Now, the funny right thing was. When you moved out? <laughs> to, to anyone who knows my mom, you could, you could see this conversation. I remember I was probably a few months after 18. Uh, a cousin of mine, I, I used to hang out with his wife's brother a lot. And I was like, I was like, Mom, you know, I'm thinking, I think I'm gonna go get an apartment in Perth Amboy. And she was like, You leave this house married, get that through your head, and that's it. <laughs> like she squashed that like like in two seconds. So, so it was like a little bit of coercion for her part, but it just never really happened, right? I I I, I didn't meet anyone. It, it could have happened differently, but. I think it just goes to that foundation because that's how I was able to get the lump sum. But it also, I, I believe making that sacrifice, because obviously I don't know people's housing situation, but my mom was a rough person, but extremely loving. Like they're, they're very loving people, but they have their ways and they, they try to make you do that. But if you don't do it, they don't, there's really no repercussions, right? Yeah. So my situation was a little different, but it is, fundamentally an example of being able to get this lump sum. Yeah, look, right? so if you if you avoid rent, say take $1,000 for rent, right? 12,000 a year, do that for five years, there's 60 grand. Yes. Now yeah. you're talking about something that if you've treated that money correctly is more than 60 grand because you've invested that along the way and now you're talking about a reasonable down payment. Yep. And I think the great thing that Johnny's story illustrates is that college isn't always the path for everyone, nor does it need to be. Right, that there's so many avenues in which you can reach financial stability. And I think the other thing that's great that you mentioned, and we mentioned how luck, right, really can be defined as preparation meeting opportunity. opportunity. So you had that opportunity, but you were prepared. You were able to fix things, right? You worked with your hands. And so when that opportunity came, 
you were there. And then when it came towards living with your family, you weren't kicking in money, but you were fixing things, which would normally, if you weren't there, it would cost them. So you were adding dollar value without having to pay cash. And I think that's great. That's such a win-win situation that you had. Well, and, and, and there's even a more simple version of that. Like, it's not just fixing stuff because it needs to be fixed. It's, hey, there's two people in, living in the same house. We only have one cable bill. We only have one electric bill. I only have one whatever, like add them all up, right? So without even doing anything, it reduces the amount of output of money from the family, right? From the whole system, yep. right? Yeah, I'm going to say, based on these stories, cohabitation might be the easiest way if you've got that opportunity in your 20s to pile up a, a little bit of a nest egg. Absolutely. Yeah. Probably no question that that's the biggest, like easiest bang for you. It doesn't need to be with family either. It can be, yeah. you know, with like-minded individuals, your, your, yeah. your friends. But I think yeah. in the U.S., that's so odd. Yeah. Like you tell someone, like it's odd in proportion to the amount of people who are financially stable. <laughs> but I mean, I always that's use this house point. as an example, right? I always say there should be other another family living. Here. Yeah, <laughs> we might be doing it soon. You know what I mean? It's like, but seriously. Yeah. One thing I think it's important. How, how is that going to fly? It ain't going to fly, right? Because we just don't have that mentality in the U.S. You said that in, in Europe. I've been to Europe. Everyone does it. No, but come on. Look, when, when Ed and Kathy were building a house, what was this, 20 years ago? Yeah. Right? They, they were out of a house. They had to move to a hotel because their house wasn't ready yet, right? So we said, why would you do that? You're going to pay a hotel for, what, a month, two months? We don't even know, right? Just live with us. So they just moved in with us. So in your I, huge I house? I Where were they living? It was, it was tight. Look, yeah. They were out tight, in the shed, but, but they but weeded the cares? garden. The, 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 builder, the builder told us, oh, the house will be ready in a few months. So we figured we would get a winter rental because that'll last through the winter. We'll be, you know, more than enough time. Or but the beach. builder was dragging their feet because they realized, oh, you know what? The prices are going up. The people back out, right? Then we can just increase the price for new buyers. Oh, wow. And so the winter rental was supposed to have way more than enough time for us to, you know, ride it out. But they kept dragging their feet and the winter rental ended. And the price was going to be astronomical because it was by the Jersey Shore. So then we figured, uh-oh, I guess we have to go buy a, you know, a hotel or you know, rent someplace because the builder still wasn't done on the new house. And we had already since sold our first home that we had, had purchased. So that was already sold. That. Right. right. So we that. squeezed them in, right? And um, it was fantastic. Right, there was adults everywhere. Yeah. You could go shopping. Like somebody, somebody goes shopping. Somebody watching the kids. Somebody's cooking dinner. Ed's mowing the lawn. Like it was wonderful, <laughs> right? And I was like, why aren't we all doing this? Like, why are we all living individually and like not future we, podcast? Right? We all have a lawnmower. <laughs> we all have a kitchen. We all have a, like it doesn't make any sense. Like cohabitation is definitely a, a different topic. Um, this we, house can happen. This house is co co co. We can all live here. Yeah. So, a, a lot of what we're saying, I'm wondering if, if, if people are thinking, now, oh, you know, whatever, you guys are smart, you know what interest rates are, and you got lucky. I'm just not going to do it. What, what are the tools or mindsets or skills that, that I need uh, to do it? And I'm going to say, you, you absolutely need to be disciplined, number one. And number two, it's not easy. If, if you think it's easy, to get to a point where you can retire young, you're, you're missing the boat. That, that doesn't make sense. I don't think it, it's worked that way for, for anybody. And for the few that it has who just come into some kind of windfall, typically they lose it because don't understand how money works because they never put the time in to understand no how to grow money. Yeah, no foundation. Yeah. I think another key point from a financial book that I was reading was talking about, you know, when you get out of when you get yourself out of debt that doesn't appreciate or you know yield bad debt yeah 
yields, you know, income. When you get yourself out of that, one of the first things you should do is set up an emergency fund. Because as we all know in life, things happen. Wait, right? does anybody here have an emergency fund? Yes. I'm say, yeah, I knew you would. <laughs> <laughs> but does anybody else? I guess, the, 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 do you have funds you could tap in an emergency? That's different. Yeah. But do you have one that's set aside for emergency, no, labeled think, emergency, break, I, breaking? Case I think case. Adam's description <laughs> is perfect. Right? Something that's liquid. Something that's yeah. liquid. As long as it's available yeah. when yes. you need it. Yeah. And, yes. And yes. So, so like, Ed, we never got around to your personal journey. Oh, yeah, sure. We, we so, should wrap that up. So on a previous episode of our podcast, I already shared that at an early age, I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do. So I knew I had to go to college. And my brother was going to college before me. And I remember my mom kind of stressing out at home because he went to a private school. And when I was looking at colleges, I thought, all right, well, I have my REACH school, which is an Ivy League school, you know, high price tag, higher than my brother's school, or I have a less expensive state school, right? So I applied to early admission to the more affordable state school, and I got accepted early you admission. Can say it. <laughs> <laughs> R! Can I get a U? You. R! <laughs> Just like, Ed, if Rutgers. you didn't go to low, low state school, low cost, you wouldn't have been here today. Right. Well, you wouldn't know us. Right. right. And, and, and you'd still be paid paying off. off your loan from Dartmouth or wherever <laughs> it was. That was, it was another, it was a different school. Princeton? But, Brown? No, no. Harvard? No, Yale? Is that a state? <laughs> He's not going to say it. Am I allowed to? University of Pennsylvania. Because uh, I, uh, I lived I in South Jersey, so it was right over the bridge, so it wasn't really too far. And I always, you know, thought that was a great school and I wanted to go there. And uh, that was my number one school. But before I even sent off the application, at the time, Rutgers had the early admission program before any of the other ones that even had their deadlines. So I got to Rutgers early acceptance. So I decided to go because it was cheaper. And I knew my mom was kind of stressing out with my older brother's tuition. And then when I went to school, she was able to help me out. But I wanted to try and do something to help out and to try and be more independent. And so they had a work-study program. Uh, in the area of sports medicine that I was interested in. And so I worked and I volunteered a lot of hours and they helped to pay, it was a stipend each semester that I would earn. And so that actually worked out really nice to help extra expenses, you know, books and whatnot. And then when it came to grad school, I was really, really at odds because I'm thinking, all right, this is gonna yield potentially a better career in terms of potential or future the career earnings. Or you wanted. Yeah, and the career that I wanted, right? That I love to do. But I felt so awful having to go into debt and take a loan. Because it was the first time in my life that I was sitting there borrowing money and it just didn't feel right. It just didn't sit right with me. I'm like, is this really what I want to do? Because I know I want to do it, but it didn't sit right with me. So I took the student loans. And then when I was in loans, I was scouring everywhere I could to try and find scholarships you know, that I can do to decrease the amount of loans that I, I would have to take. So I got a scholarship and they actually paid out of my three-year grad program I paid student loans for the first year, and then the second and third year, my scholarship program paid for it. Mm. So that saved me a lot of money there. And when we, when I graduated, uh, I met my wife in the graduate school program. So the first thing in my mind was, we've got to pay off all of our all of our student loans, all of our debt. And so when Wasn't we got out of school, I've never had them, but aren't they low interest rates? They were they were they were pretty low. But again, this, this was just my mindset at the time, as I was so debt averse. And so since we just got married, I said, listen, you know, since we're in healthcare, there's always the opportunity to do per diem, which is essentially on call. And pretty much it's common practice in healthcare. That's always the opportunity. So it's kind of a nice thing in healthcare. So I worked a lot of per diem jobs and I buckled down and I paid off all the student loans, you know, mine, hers early, you know, plus a regular income that was coming in. 
And I just kept doing that because I told her, you know, we were planning for a family and having kids. And I told her, look, when the kids come, you know, I don't want to be doing any of this extra work. You know, I was reading a, a personal finance book. It had a lot of good things in there about investing in the stock market and rental properties. And all of it made sense. And all of it, you know, was, was really good advice. And so my feeling was, although I agreed with all that, and although financial stability is an important point, once I was out of debt, we had enough money for a home and we were going to buy a home, put a down payment. For me, financial stability wasn't about, oh man, I got to retire early or, oh, I have to you know, own certain things. For me, financial stability was owning a home, having a family, being out of debt, being able to max out on my employer retirement plan, my wife doing that, uh, other you know, retirement investment vehicles. At the time, it was traditional IRA and then Roth IRA. As long as I can do all that, all the other individual stock investments, rental property, to me, took a back seat. I didn't feel I needed that. The facet that was more important, just because my experience not having a dad, my dad passing away when I was five, I wanted to be the dad. So as soon as my kids were born, that was the end of per diem. No more per diem work, no more extra jobs. It was just be the dad. Well, flash forward to when they're going to college. Now they're going to college, <laughs> right? Now it's a different story, right? I already was the dad. I still am a dad. But I don't need to be the Cub Scout leader, the soccer coach, the youth group leader, you know, all that stuff. You know, so now I'm back to working, you know, pretty in jobs and doing extra things, which I enjoy doing, you know, and it's bringing, you know, along a little more extra income to try and revisit some of those things that can add to our financial stability and a stronger retirement, you know, so, possibility so for us. So quick thing to, to you alluded to it, if you don't mind, what what is, I never had, um, uh, student loans and we didn't take any loans. So what would, what is that number? It is pretty low. So at that time, right. yeah, at that time for me, if I remember correctly, I think my student loan interest rate at that time was around 7%. Oh, that's high. I oh, think that's it was. Well, compared to prime though. Depends. Yeah. I, I don't remember what prime was or anything. I, that kind of, it sounds like, I think what it was. Six to eight is what I hear. And for me, I think it was like mid to high teens was my total. Something like 16, 18,000 was my total. And then, you know, my wife had a little bit more, right? Because she didn't have that same scholarship that I did. And, and her parents, you know, weren't helping, you know, weren't able to help with everything. They helped some, but she also had to take some student loans. So her student loan amount total was higher. Um, and mine was a little bit lower. What it costs to go to a large state school, like say Penn State, if you're out of state, tuition, room and board, all in, all the incidentals after four years is over a quarter million dollars today. It's not cheap, man. It's not cheap. So that, that's, that's a, state a whole nother podcast. Uh, if it's going to cost episode. a quarter million dollars, sorry, episode. <laughs> so wait, wait, wait. <laughs> episode. Um, if it's going to cost a quarter million dollars to go to Penn State, but you can go to a, an in-state school that's as good for $100,000, why are you doing that? In, in your professional careers, do you think an Ivy League education or a higher than state education is more beneficial or it doesn't matter? Absolutely not more beneficial. To the contrary, um, folks coming out uh, of Ivy League schools, and I've inter interviewed plenty, um, will have uh, higher demands, higher opinions of themselves, uh, generally very needy employees. Sorry out there, guys. It's just my experience. It's what I've seen. I much prefer uh, just lost a, half a state school uh, graduate with a with a three two who worked a part time job and, and a work study program uh, who can speak over 
uh, uh, someone from uh, UPenn with a 4.0 that mommy and daddy paid for. All right, but maybe my question was, wasn't stated correctly. Financially, do you think going to that school will lead them to better finance or less? No, it hurts because I didn't hire them. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in the engineering field, it, it, it does not make uh, a ton of difference. I do think that in finance, uh, or if you get into, uh, for lack of a better word, a good old boy network, sorry for the misogyny, um, that can be more prevalent at Ivy's, that can make a difference. Uh, other than that, I don't know that it's worth the money unless you're going into academia. My turn. Go for it. What was the question? <laughs> do, do, do you, have you seen in your circle that an Ivy League uh, yeah. school gets you further? I mean, um, for, for me, it was always, <clears throat> not, not to cut your thing, but to me, they, I just was always told, hey, in those circles, it's not the education, it's who you're rubbing shoulders with. You know what I mean? And that creates your opportunities later in life. I think it's that, but it's also your people skills. And that can be a pretty rare thing to find in engineering. Uh, but the higher uh, value uh, employees and those who rise to the top are ones who, uh, who have people skills. Yeah. So, for, so mine is split, right? So I had the engineering thing and then the IT thing, right? And IT, I spent more time in IT, right, is, is a weird one because starting in the late 90s and into the 2000s, there, no one, not very many people went to get an education in IT. I mean, there was computer science. That's what Gary did. But it was mostly about programming. But there's all this, this other world of IT that's out there, right? Databases and storage and IT security and all this stuff. That it was a lot of people that were engineers, computer engineers, math, math majors that all just fell into IT, right? So, the, so then the degree mattered. It didn't even matter what, whether you went to college or not. In some cases, it mattered that you did go to college. There was a, a requirement for a degree. didn't matter what it was. In many cases, didn't even need a degree. So in that case, it's new, a new field. It mattered not at all. Um, but I honest, I agree that I don't think the school matters that much, um, especially if you go to higher education, you go to get a master's, no one cares where you got your, your, your bachelor's. You go to get a PhD, the other ones don't matter. Once you get a first job, people barely care where you went to college at all, right? So it really, I don't think it matters. That's my Another way, short in, uh, at least in engineering or some other parts of STEM, the way to get a master's, if you aren't fortunate enough to get a scholarship, have your employer pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's most my... most companies will do that, or at least partial. And I think in healthcare that's really big too. I think, you know, what Ray had mentioned about, you know, in healthcare, I think where your terminal professional degree is earned is more important. So if you're gonna be going to graduate school, your undergrad, whether it's a Ivy League school, isn't really gonna be important. I think the terminal academic program, wherever you're getting your graduate degree, may help for your first job in terms of connections, right? Their network, their alumni, things of that nature. That may be helpful for your very first job. Then after that, it's not gonna matter. Yeah. But more importantly for any of the viewers who are thinking about healthcare, there is always opportunities in healthcare to get advanced education, even if you don't have baseline education, to go ahead and have the employer pay for that. And I've, I've seen that done with people who are just entry level, you know, positions where they're working as a nurse's aide, and then they have that paid to get their initial nursing degree, and then they go back and they get their advanced practice nursing degree and become a nurse practitioner and healthcare facilities will help pay for that. If not, you know, pay for, you know, maybe that's a majority huge. of it. Yeah, that's, that's huge. huge. And so if you don't have money and you think, man, you know, I, I need a way to try and get this paid for, you know, I think that's a great opportunity is you look into your local healthcare system where you live and those opportunities will be there. Yeah, those opportunities will be there. <laughs> <New> <laughs> so, uh, 
how do we start saving uh, no matter what age you are? Uh, I think it's simple. Uh, anytime you get your hands on money, whether it's uh, 20 bucks from grandma for Christmas or your part-time job, uh, you've got to take a portion of that, some percentage, and pay yourself with it. And then you can go pay five below or Wawa or Starbucks, uh, Starbucks or Panera, coffee. the rest of it. But you got to pay yourself first. Gary had made a, a great point about you know saving early. And when our kids were younger, we happened to go to the Baltimore Aquarium. And I didn't realize they had a Baltimore Children's Museum right in that same little area in the Inner Harbor in Baltimore. I don't know if it's still there, but they had this one display which just sunk in with my older child. And it was called Early Earl and Late Louise. And it was exactly the example that Carrie had mentioned about saving early. And if you save early, you end up having more because you saved early. And then ever since, you know, we saw that display, you know, we went home and every time we talked about finances, it was like, remember, just like Early Earl. And then we would go to the local bank and they had, you know, a kids program and they had this incentive little dinosaur bank you know, that that child particularly really liked. And I think getting them started early and teaching them early is important. And if you haven't started earlier, had parents to, to get you started early, taking that initial step, right, to start educating yourself or putting it a little bit away, like Adam said, every time you get your hands on something, a portion, the bigger portion, the better. Yeah, and, and it is critically important in your 20s, Still important in your 30s, but, but as you get older, you just have less and less impact on the ultimate outcome. For every dollar you save at age 20, assuming 7%, which will double every 10 years, by the time you're 70, you get five doubles. That $1 is $32. That only happens if you put it away when you're 20. But there's a difference between saving and investing, right? So if we're talking about, if you're just talking about saving, then you're really back to the beginning, right? Make keep more than you spend, and then don't blow it. You on, live in that bank, getting that quarter percentage. Yeah. it's going to grow quickly. Right. So, but <laughs> but but then you're saying, am I putting it away for a rainy day? Am I putting it aside, or am I doing something productive with it to make it grow so that it is has a big impact on the future? Right. So whether it's investing in the stock market, like Ed said they did, whether it's buying investment properties, like some of us did, um, it's taking making a choice to take the extra money. And do something productive. And not to it, mention, right? if you're younger, you have you should have a higher risk tolerance. Right. So, like I, we didn't buy. I'm trying to think now. My memory is uh, pretty terrible. But we probably didn't buy a real investment property until I was 40. I think the first one was in was 2012. Right. So, to me, I'm looking back. That was late. I think you're off by eight years. Eight years. Sorry. No. no. 2012. Ten, ten years ago. I'm 51. Ten years ago. It's 41. But you know what, Ray? I think that's was, a great that was, point. That was 2005. Cause that was my mom's house. That was my mom's house. Yeah, and you rented it. All right. Well, it was well, a little yeah, different. Sorry. Very I different. <laughs> Very <laughs> different. Very different. Uh, we could talk all about right. that. I but, got a but, great family in 2005. Yeah, we all did the same thing. Yeah. I thought. Anyway. But that's a great point about not buying it to your earlier. Because I know in healthcare, a lot of times we'll have patients who they've smoked their whole lives. But it's not until they're middle age where they decide, you know what, now I'm going to quit. No matter what time they decide, it's only going to impact their future health beneficially. And I think financial stability is the same way, no matter how old you are. 
If you decide when you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s, okay, now maybe I'm going to try and get out of debt. That can only help you. Okay, maybe now I'm going to read up on personal finances. That can only help you. Right. Just like in healthcare, it doesn't matter if you make those choices earlier. You make that choice at some point. You no, know, it does it will matter. Only positive- if you start, stop smoking when you're 15 compared to 65, it's going to affect your life. Yeah, so- no, you're right. But the, but, but the person who's older and they decide, well, now I want to try and stop. Well, if, if they are able to, that will help their future. Ed's, you're right. It would have been better younger. Ed's point is that if, if don't don't do nothing because you're older, right? Right. You still should do it, I, right? It just might be harder. I'm gonna, and I'm you gonna, might have to try harder. I'm going to disagree because I think if you got to 65 with not being financially disciplined, you're not going to start at 65. 65 is different. I think right. we're talking about someone who's 30 or right. 40 or 45. Right. But you're right, right. It's their choice. They may not want to. You're right. They yeah, may and not and, want and to. There may, there's no they value in doing it. To, right. Th- there's no value. They're able to earn money at that point if they don't have their no, money you, working for them because every dollar you save at, at age 20, you got to see that as an active force working to make more money for you. The, you know, the purpose of money uh, can be a lot of different things, but one purpose is to make more money. <clears throat> Another purpose is to help people. Another purpose is to buy the things you need. I think another thing that I think is important, it's kind of a side point, you know, from what we've kind of been talking about. And that is, it was a, an idea of stewardship. And I was reading an article, I was talking about Warren Buffett. And he was saying that, oh, you know, as I get older, you know, I realize, you know, having a lot of money really isn't important. But he mentioned two points that I so thought- you say that when you have billions of dollars. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, but he made two points, which I think is applicable to whether you have billion dollars or not. And that is number one, is how many people are actually looking up to you? you know, at that point in your life. Because if there's no one really looking up to you and no one really respects you, then really what have you been accomplishing? And I thought that was a great point that he made in his article. And the other point was, is that now you have the opportunity to help other people, whether it be family members, friends, other people in the community, your place of worship, right? Whatever it is, you know, a charitable organization that you're really fond of, you think, you know, that's a great cause. You know, whatever it is that you feel strongly or passionate about in life, you know, now you have the opportunity to make a positive impact on that organization, those people closest to you, right? You're now the source, right? That can go and help others. And I thought that was a great point, right? Because it's not just about having financial. Yeah. Having an end game. Yeah, it's not financial stability, me, 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 like the old Daffy Duck, you know, on the cartoon, you know, but it's you become financially stable, now you serve and help others. It doesn't have to be, you know, something where people think, oh, it's just, you know, about me. It's not, right? Well you said. become well to others. Thanks, Adam. So, so in, in, in conclusion, right, it's understanding it from the get-go, right? Trying to, as a, as a teenager or as a parent, teaching your kids what the definition of uh, independence or, or what would you stability. stability, financial stability, getting an education, having good, what would you say, fiscal responsibility, um, money coming in, more money coming in than money going out. And, and then education does not need to be college right? based. And, but more importantly, Ray, at the end, one thing that we have to touch on, you have to want to make money out of this money, not just piling it up somewhere. Mattress. Correct. Right? I mean, well, I mean we, if not, we're, we're not, why would I say the audience is probably going to want to know how am I going to make this money and how am I going to make it grow? So I think we could all conclude that it's not just stockpiling this money and putting it off to the side. You actually have to do something with it. Yeah, and everybody's going to make a choice and to do it in a different way. Some is very aggressive. Some takes a lot of time and effort. Some doesn't, right? And lots of discussions about that. I think that's that. what we should discuss Absolutely. in the next yeah. one. Yeah. The next one has to be, 
I have this money. I have twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. Or what is that number? What is that number? What can we do with ten grand? And what it ain't can about do? the mattress. Thank you for listening to the Attic Static podcast. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe, and feel free to leave a comment below, or come check us out at our website at attictaticpod.com. And stay tuned for new episodes out every Monday.